0: Welcome to the Type None Podcast, Episode 6. In this episode, Nora and I sit down for a more traditional interview about the unofficial Ultraman training camp I recently attended.
1: Well, I tried to get back to my traditional journalistic roots, but I'm just naturally a conversationalist, so...
0: And so here it is. Enjoy.
1: Enjoy. All right. Type None Podcast, Episode 6. We will be doing things a little differently today because Chris just got back from training camp for Ultraman Florida. <laughs> So this is going to be more of a traditional interview-style podcast. So, Chris. Hey, how's
0: it going? (laughs) How are you doing today?
1: I am exhausted. But we're not here to talk about me. (laughs) We're here to talk about you. (laughs) Let's go ahead and get an overview of what the camp looks like going into it. What did the camp consist of?
0: So... This was an unofficial camp put on by the race director and assistant race director to help familiarize athletes with the course. They have revamped the entire race this year. Um, they are, we're swimming in a different lake. The, the past five years they have swum in the same lake, Lake Conway. This year we're going to be swimming in Lake Mineola. It's a, it's a really a great setup because Lake Minola has a new parking lot, new showers and bathrooms all set up kind of right there uh, as you exit the lake. And it, it's really set up well for for triathlons. And, and they built it for that specific reason. They figured that they would uh, generate more races going through there by by establishing this, um, this little area, and it's been developed very, very well. So, the start and finish of each day will be the same from from uh, moving forward.
1: It'll be at the same place? Correct. Okay.
0: So, day one, we, we swim in Lake Mineola, we go and ride 90 miles, and we we finish right back where we started. Day two, we start and finish again, same same spot and day 3 uh on the run we start and finish from the same spot now camp w- was set up a little differently um the day 1 was a 2 hour swim they set up a couple buoys and it was just a 2 hour swim so however long or however far you got in in 2 hours was what you got but it was a 2 hour swim followed by a 71 two five or seven five mile bike ride so almost 72 miles two hour swim 72 mile bike and and the the bike course day one is really pretty um not as congested you don't have the whole airport thing there's not as many traffic lights in fact there is one singular traffic light that you go straight through and i remember one thing that uh that frustrated me last time i raced with with everything was waiting for stoplights especially having to cross traffic in order to make a left-hand turn wait at the stoplight and then have the stoplight finally turn green only to have some other athlete go flying past me after all that work and then having to stop for however long and you know have somebody else just go flying past Cause they got a green light like that. That was very frustrating and it happened several times. So I'm very happy with day one. The fact that this is a one stoplight scenario in and out and call it good. The rest of it really pretty. It's a little more rural. You know, you get some, some wildlife, that you get to actually look at, you know, some cows, some some b- birds. Uh, there's a lot. There are a lot of lakes. It's in Lake County, Florida. So you, you know, really pretty terrain, um, which I prefer as opposed to the quote-unquote urban environment um, that we had the last time. Uh, day two of camp, we had a hundred twenty-six point whatever mile ride. And it was, it started and finished same place that we started and finished day one. And and we had a good amount of hills. People always think day, or people always think that Florida is very flat, which a lot of it is. When you get through into central Florida and start going through Claremont and all those areas, it is very, very hilly. Last time I raced, the first 100 miles of the race were very flat. and the last 60 or 70 miles of day two, Um, you had nearly 5,000 feet of elevation gain. This time around, you have similar elevation gain. However, it is going to be spread throughout the course. And interestingly enough, I think the majority of it is at the front and at the end. Um, The middle is a little bit less, not to say you don't have any elevation gain, but it's not quite as, um, as prominent as the, the first and the last sections of the course. So, but it was good to get out on the course, um, feel the Hills and, and get, um, get a little familiar with just, you know, the, the overall flow of, of day two, we did, like I said, just under 127 miles day two of the race will be 172 miles we were like 20, 25 miles, 30, no wait, sorry, 50 miles <laughs> um, shy of what we'll be doing on day two, but it was really fun. It was nice. Um, we had a little bit of rain, but not much. Uh, the cloud cover definitely kind of helped us, um, uh, help keep the, the heat down. So it wasn't really bad at all. And then uh, day three of the camp, we we went straight out to the clay roads, Some people, I think there was three athletes that ran from the house just to get in a little extra mileage and familiarize themselves with one of the roads that we're going to be racing on. The rest of us went out to the clay roads and just did loops. There was a big 10 mile loop. They had four aid stations, two and a half miles apart. And it was really nice. Uh, The clay roads are, are known throughout Ultraman, Florida. It's, just after the first marathon, so when you're actually in the race, you, you go about, I want to say, like 28, 29 miles, and then you hit the clay roads. Okay. And it's a very special environment. It's absolutely beautiful. If you look at an aerial photo photo of it, um, you will see there's this big tree patch in the shape of Mickey. A Mickey's head. <laughs> so, um, and and we get to run around it. There's a couple lakes out there. It is both brutal and majestic. Uh, brutal because when you get out there, again, you've you've already raced over a marathon. It's usually in the afternoon. It's hot. It's humid. There's very little airflow through there, um, and you're on clay roads. So you've got soft patches of clay. Uh, where it's very powdery and sandy sometimes you have mucky muddy areas if it's rained around through there which then clumps up on your shoes and your shoes become super heavy and here you are in just this absolutely beautiful area and it can be just brutal and gut-wrenching so again it's it's very well known throughout the the ultraman community not just people who have raced or crewed for ultraman florida but if you've raced ultraman around the world you've heard stories of the clay roads in florida so uh but uh i mean we had perfect conditions it was a not a cool morning but it wasn't i think we started out it was in the upper 60s and it got pretty warm pretty quick but again it wasn't quite as brutal as, as it will be on race day but, um, you know, if you if you've seen some of the pictures that I've put up on social media and I'll, I'll put some more up because they're just they're beautiful. It was, it was a lot of fun to get out there with some of the athletes and past crew um, and friends. And just for most of us at, at this point, it was just a matter of getting out, simulating a three day, you know, simulating the three day race that we're about to go through. And, and, and sharing some experiences, having some fun, you know, stuff like that. So to end it, end day three, doing the clay roads was, was super cool.
1: So that brings me to the point of, we did post a picture of those clay roads on your Instagram. We did, uh, and Facebook page actually. So Chris relayed some, some stuff to me that I posted to kind of keep everybody up to date. And those have, we got a lot of really good response from those. But there are more, and we're going to be putting those up with the podcast once we get that um, out. So be on the lookout for that. When the when you're hearing this, you know, check it out. There are going to be more photos and and things um, on social media for you guys to check out. But that also brings me to why is it you know besides the besides you familiarizing yourself with the the new course. Why was making sure you got to this training camp so important for you? Uh,
0: One of the biggest things was, and if you've been following along, you know, Couch to Ultra became one of my hashtags because I have not trained for anything since my last race in 2015. Here I'll be racing in 2019, you know, 40 years of not training for anything, um is a long time. So one of the biggest things for me was getting there and putting my body through three days of, of strategic targeted training. Um, something that simulated the race. I mean, this was meant to be, uh, similar to race conditions. You know, we started each morning about the same time that we would, uh, come race day. That said, If we were 10 or 15 minutes late because, you know, we were just trying to figure out logistics or get buoy set up, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. This was a camp, not a race, but it was set up so that it was very uh, similar to race conditions. Um, So for me, just getting out, putting my body through day one, day two, day three, being able to recover, being able to fuel, and make sure that my nutrition was on point—you know, all those th- all those things combined, putting them together in, in a you know rate, quote unquote race format was, was very important to me, um, just to see how my body responded. And I and I think my body responded well. I mean, there's definitely a lot of things that I need to work on, and and that was the other part of this. Figuring out, okay, can I do this? Yes, I can. Now, what do I need to tweak or work on so that come race day when, you know, everything is full go mode, what's going to help me get to the finish line each day uh, and be able to recover for the next day um, in the best capacity? So long list, but it's, it's a doable list. You know, lots of little things as opposed to, you know, shoot, I'm just super out of shape.
1: (laughs) All right. That was going to be my next question. So you've already answered that. So my question after that was now tell us about how your diabetes, your blood sugar handled everything.
0: So this, this time around, I was a lot different than, than my last, uh, race scenario, last race scenario. Um, my blood sugars were all over the place. And I think part of the reason that my blood sugars were a little bit more stable this time around was that I didn't have the excitement and the anxiety and the pressures all that are all wrapped around a race. Um, this was a camp. So that's, you know, that's something that I still have kind of in the back of my head. Um, but this time around, I'm also on a uh, Different nutritional regimen and I think my body responded very well to I guess the the logistics um, and each day um, I was able to to fuel properly without either I guess over fueling or under fueling you know I, I actually the only real low that I had was when I woke up day two um, my blood sugar dropped down to 50 uh, and I woke up at like 5, 5, just after 5 o'clock in the morning, 5.07 or whatever it was. But that was the only time that I dropped like under the 70s um, the entire weekend. I think the highest my blood sugar got up to was 230s or 240s, you know, afterwards. And I mean, so for me to keep myself in, in kind of a... I want to say most of the time I was either between 80 and 1, like 140.
1: Which is funny because I'm going to interject real quick. It's funny because that would have been perfect for the research. Yeah. (laughs) For your research from Ultraman (laughs) 1.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Last time I was on a completely different diet and... um, and when they set the research parameters, they set it for like non race situations where, you know, what would you on a typical day to day basis want to be? You know, 70 to 130. Okay, cool. There we go. There's your race conditions. Before, when I was racing, I actually preferred to be higher than 70 or from 70 to 130. I would have rather been like 130 to 180 um, just because of the way my body was using the nutrition and I I didn't want to drop low nowadays. I'm a little bit more stable, which I can definitely appreciate that said, um, you know, I still had to fuel a lot and I learned that throughout because there were times when I would check my blood sugar and I'm like, shoot, I'm thinking I'm, you know, in the one twenties and I am 82 or something like that.
1: Well, and that's, you know, that's another thing. Um, that I wanted to, you know, so we posted a picture of him eating, what was that, a a Biscoff cookie butter butter sandwich. sandwich. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, you know, he was eating things he didn't normally eat, but your blood sugars were still in check. So one thing that I want to talk about is um, I did an Instagram story, uh, what was it, Thursday morning before you left, because last Thursday I was at work at 4 a.m., Woohoo! Um so I took a little quick story of all like he had I think like 5 or 6 bags of six. stuff, 6 bags of stuff that he was taking with him you know from his supplies, his clothing, his gear, his food, all that took 6 bags. So I want to talk a little bit about that um prepping and preparing how that's a little bit different as someone with type 1 diabetes and then um you know your, your blood sugar control before Ultraman one. Cause like you mentioned in the last podcast, and, and you've mentioned several times, just in general, you say that you've been Ultraman 2015, you were in the best shape of your life, but you've had such great control from the training camp. And recently, you know, talk about your blood sugars during Ultraman one, what's happening now and what you hope to, you know, what you anticipate come Ultraman to, uh, 2019.
0: Well, before, um, Ultraman 2015, I was on a high carb diet and I want to say it was a quote unquote typical triathlete diet. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of different products out there, not just for triathletes, but you know, any athletes. Um, you've got the, the major brands of Gatorade and Powerade and, you know, any quote-unquote electrolyte drink. Um, you have smaller companies uh, like Scratch and Heat or uh, Hammer Nutrition, uh, and they all do gels. They all do uh, different electrolyte powders from recovery powder, performance power, pre-race powders, um, you've got your bars, you know, your, your cliff bars, your power bars, your, you know, there's every bar under the sun <laughs> these days. You also have like, um, uh, little chewable things. Uh, you got s- different salt tabs, all these types. I mean, you know, the, the products are infinite and endless. It seems like there's a new one popping up quite literally every week. And, and that's what I was on last time. I, I fueled, the same way that any other athlete would, or I, I again I, I say any other quote unquote typical athlete, um, you know, new to the sport or uh, a seasoned veteran. Not to say that there aren't athletes, uh, both new to the sport and seasoned veterans, who don't follow a very um, strict regimen um, that is different. Um, and typically, if they succeed. And either you know completing their first triathlon um, and performing well, or winning a world championship, or something like that. All of a sudden, people start to notice, and 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 there there will be you know a shift in dynamics towards that that particular diet. Um, These
1: that diet will start trending exactly. (laughs) Well, so but how did that affect your blood sugars before? Yeah.
0: Well, before I was all over the place. Um, like I was fr- anywhere from, uh, Even
1: with all your training and you being fit your blood sugars before Ultraman yeah. Florida 20, 2015 were,
0: I, I would jump from the thirties to the five hundreds in, in a single day.
1: So really, you know, your Ultraman Florida 2015 blood sugar experience was not that typical from your daily experience. Correct. It just ha- You also had the anticipation or anxiety as well.
0: Right. I, at the beginning, of, um, before day one, my my blood sugar was extremely high. Uh, I was in the four and five hundreds. I want to say, um, uh, by the time I actually got to the sw- um, swim start, I was in the four hundreds, and of course, you know, I'm about to go through a 10k swim and a 90 mile bike. I need some sort of nutrition. I need to put calories in my body because um, I'm about to burn a lot. So I couldn't not eat, but I was I was tempering what I was eating and I was just shooting myself up with insulin over and over and over again. Now, granted, I had been up for a couple of hours. I always wake up early so that I can check my blood sugar and, and try to dial it in before a race starts, um, which is one of the challenges with, with a, a three-day event which Ultraman is, but I was up, my blood sugar was high. I'm giving myself the insulin. I'm expecting it to come down. It's not, it's going up. I give myself more insulin. I eat because again, I have to, you know, I have to put something in my body. Um, my blood sugar is not coming down. I don't remember how far before the swim start. I want to say it was about 30, maybe 40 minutes before the swim start. My blood sugar had gone from the three or four hundreds. It had dropped down to like the mid ones. And I started th- eating every last little thing I could. I mean, you know, this is when, you know, sugar is being consorm- consumed at alarming rates and, 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 it wasn't until long after the race was complete, uh, my coach and friend, he was like, yeah, I remember after day one, you know, watching you eat right before you got in the water, I would never tell any of my athletes to ever, ever do what you did. But, you know, he understood that I needed, you know, I needed that at that point in time, it wasn't about the calories. It was about the carbs and the sugar to get my blood sugar up so it didn't, you know, (laughs) drop and plummet to nothing when I'm, you know, halfway through a 10K swim.
1: Which, you know, one of the things that's so amazing about that story is you could have been first out of the water.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't miss it by much.
1: So I think one of the important things about the, you know, the training camp too is all this that you've got going on, seeing where you were from last time, but kind of continuing your story as an inspiration of, look what I did last time. I went from being however high before the swim, was able to get it under control at a god awful hour in the morning, it being freezing cold. You were second out of the water Though we we should probably tell that story at some point. You could have been first out of the water. This is the start of a three day race. I mean, to, to someone who doesn't have diabetes, that, that's pretty inspiring, which is how I got so caught up with Chris when I first interviewed him. But you know, that's part of why, again, like I said, the training camp is, is so important, not just for you, but for helping to continue to inspire other people with diabetes or chronic illnesses. To me, it's a reminder to keep going
0: yeah well one of the cool parts about camp was you had i think there was 16 or 17 of us um athletes and crew combined and we're in this huge house i think it was like an eight bedroom house um seven or eight bedroom house four bathrooms um which if you're an athlete or familiar with it i mean having lots of bathrooms for athletes is, is a huge plus especially when you're doing something like a training camp um But, um, I mean, one of the cool parts about camp was just being able to talk and talk with and share stories. You know, I, I learned a lot from other athletes there, there were people, there was an athlete from Barbados there. There was uh, a guy from Virginia beach. There was a couple who came down from Atlanta. There were plenty of people from Florida. So, I mean, you know, you've just got like all these different dynamics, um, and you you get all these stories from the ultra world, and you know, listening and sharing and 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 just the the dynamic and the flow was really really cool. It was very fun. It was absolutely exhausting, but by the end of the camp, you know, I still had a super big smile on my face just because it was so such an amazing experience. Which I think, you know, me being me and really enjoying these ultra events, I geek out on it. I, I really enjoy it. That said, there were people there, there were a couple people there who, you know, they crew, they are not going to go out and run a marathon. They're not going to go out and run a, a 5K or a 10K tomorrow. But they're there and, you know, they're sharing experiences that they've seen or heard from other events things that they've taken part in, people would always ask me, you know, about my nutrition and training and this and how it affected my diabetes and, you know, what I would do. So it was really fun to, to be able to share, you know, and explain that and, 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 you know, just, I guess, shine a light on, um, on the disease and how it is. It's not a death sentence. In fact, you know, you can, you can thrive in life and, and, and by thrive, you know, whatever it is you're passionate about, you know, you can do it. I'm passionate about ultra endurance athletics. You know, I geek out on, on doing super long events, but this is what's helping me just survive the day-to-day life, you know, day-to-day grind. What are you doing? You know, you going and selling insurance? Are you, you know, working at a marketplace? Are you in the news? You know, (laughs) what, what, what is it that you're doing? You know, even if you have a disease like an an autoimmune disease, like type one diabetes, it's not, it doesn't have to stop you from, from doing what you are passionate about.
1: One thing I also want to mention is during um, Ultraman 2015, you had, a continuous glucose monitor that was donated through research through the research. Um, and that is part of the reason, part of the way they helped, you know, monitor your blood sugar throughout the entire race. We have not been able to get you a CGM just because of our financial situation. Uh, you know, the last number of years, they're, is, expensive. they're very expensive and so when chris is doing his training day to day and then through this camp he did everything with a regular you know check system that is something that speaks volumes in terms of what you have to do to take care of yourself and then you know we were talking about those bags of equipment that's not you know what was included in his supplies, I guess, necessarily. But go ahead and talk about, if you would, what all you took down and why, and, you know, what was your strategy for getting ready and preparing and what it takes to kind of get through a camp? Because I know getting, we'll talk about, you know, getting ready for Ultraman when that time comes because that'll be a whole different ballgame from camp. But talk about, you know, what it takes to get through even just a camp for this this crazy race.
0: I didn't know what to expect. Very similar to um, last time I raced, I really had no idea. No, no type 1 diabetic had ever raced Ultraman before. So, you know, what's going to happen? Nobody knew. Um, so you – it's one of those, you know, you hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Um And so when I went down there this, this time around again, you know, hashtag couch to ultra here I am, you know, I'm not in as good a shape as I was four years ago. Um, I I just started working out and training a couple of months ago. Uh, I have been trying to dial in my nutrition. I've been, uh, consistent with my training, but that said, You know, I still didn't know what to expect from this. This is the first time I had done um, anything even close to uh, what I had four years ago. So I didn't know what to expect. You know, uh, along with the the course recon and, you know, figuring out the logistics and how everything was going to operate. A lot of it was, okay. how am I going to, you know, and and that's based on my fitness now. Now, luckily, again, I, I learned a lot. Uh, at camp and hopefully in two months uh, a little over two months I guess um, you know I can put things together and and have a successful race but for what to plan for this camp I hope for the best and plan for everything under the sun you know I mean of course I, I took down my equipment but I also didn't know how cold it was going to be, how hot it was going to be. And interestingly enough, the the temperature did fluctuate. We got rained on uh, a good amount on day two. Not bad, but you know it, it wasn't. It was more than just a sprinkle.
1: Well, it did actually kind of mirror uh, Ultraman twenty fifteen. Right, you were colder on
0: day one. On, on day one. Yep.
1: Tuesday was warmer, but not too bad. Kind of you know a mm-hmm. nice, and then Sunday was like warm and humid. Yep. Sticky nasty.
0: Yep. Yeah, it did. It was it <laughs> Not was Not
1: as bad of a fluctuation as Ultraman 2015. Correct. But still Yeah. You know, typical Florida fall winter weather, <laughs> which is
0: <laughs> Yeah,
1: exactly. Ugh.
0: So, but I mean, I took down an entire um, bag of just supply type stuff. I took down an entire um cooler bag with food specifically for me now they had uh, you know all the athletes and and crew people who stayed there I think they had to chip in like 50 bucks or something for for food because breakfast uh, and dinners were provided each day now lunches obviously there was no lunch because we're out um, training but um, so nutrition was kind of left to the athlete but breakfasts and dinners were paid for. You know, they did a spaghetti night. They did a taco um, buffet, you know, all that type of stuff. But none of this was uh, in line with what I am doing. So the uh, assistant race director, Jen, she was like, you know what, Chris, don't worry about, you know, paying for, for food. You know, uh, I know you're doing, you know, your thing. And I went to the grocery store and I got some almond milk for myself and, you know, a couple other things. And at the end, I actually ended up, uh, I did end up paying, uh, giving them a little bit of money. Uh, I gave them half just because they did buy the almond milk and I had countless salads, you know, from food that they, that they had purchased. So, um, you know, but I took this huge bag down and then each day, that bag went in kind of the, the crew van that was closest to me. Day one, I was bringing up the rear on the bike. The, I was great during, in the water. Um, I got out uh, a few times to check my blood sugar and take in nutrition. And that's the way they had this, the course set up. You know, Everybody had their, their water bottles and gels or bars and whatnot um, on, the, on the beach. Um, but I got out a few times, checked, you know, I was good the whole way on the bike. I, like I said, I brought up the rear, but the person who, who was closest to me had my bag. So anything that I wanted or needed, it was there. And then day two and day three, uh, well actually day two, um, I was riding with another guy, um, from South Florida. He and his, um, his wife was in the the crew van with a couple other, um, friends. And then me and Edgar, we just rode and whenever, whenever we stopped, you know, I had my nutrition bag, uh, with whatever I needed, um, day three, we had a loop, and so I just kind of took nutrition, um, uh, as I need, I made sure that each nutrition station had, you know, stuff that I would need, and then I carried whatever, you know, I carried my, my insulin kit, um, and then I carried, uh, some fast acting glucose tabs so should i start start to feel shaky or tired or you know feel like i just needed that boost i could take a glucose tab and and keep me set till either i checked myself at the aid station um, or if i just just wanted the nutrition so you know beforehand before i left i just wanted to make sure that i had everything all I guess all scenarios covered I figured I'd rather uh have it not need it than need it and not have it so I was definitely a pack horse uh on the trip and it worked out I mean came came away from camp happy and you know again figured out kind of what what I did need and didn't need and and what I will need as I move forward
1: all right, so that pretty much wraps up the recap. Anything else that you want to add? There's one thing that I kind of want to tie in.
0: Well, I just want to thank Chuck and Jen for putting, uh, putting the camp together. I mean, I thought it was absolutely amazing, super helpful, super fun. The athletes that, that I met, the crew members that I met down there were all fun. You know, the dynamics of the camp were great. And the, where we stayed worked out. I mean, it was just, again, it, uh, the overall experience was super cool. I learned a lot and, and I'm just so thankful that they, they put that together. I, I think it will help me come February, um, immensely. Umish is, Umish is a little less, less, uh, thrilled with the experience cause I left him for several days, but
1: yeah, he, he made me pay for that. So, one of the things that I want to talk about real quick before we wrap up with the training camp in regard to Clark Communication Group and our nonprofit, part of the reason why we are doing the nonprofit is to inspire, educate, and empower those living with type 1 diabetes and those affected by type 1 diabetes. And that, um, you know, is one of our goals in the future with this nonprofit is to help be able to let others afford to do things like this, like an Ultraman, you know, whether we put it through some sort of ambassador program or, you know, we kind of like adopt someone, you know, I say adopt because we adopted like a town at work. We've adopted like a a town, in the panhandle to send them Christmas gifts kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, where we kind of sponsor a a kid who might want to take surfing lessons and, you know, and it, it might be too expensive for them with all of their type one supplies or whatever. You know, we want to be able to help provide that. And that's part of the reason why we're building the nonprofit. And ultra races are expensive. Type one diabetes is expensive. Some of the things that people want to do, like what Chris is doing, is expensive, and we we want to help make those dreams possible. I think that is uh, you know fun and exciting, and part of that inspiration and empowerment to give back to people.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're still in the infancy of of CCG and. And helping others, but I mean, you look at diabetes and you look at um, the the cost of insulin over the past eleven years has gone up by one thousand or close to one thousand two hundred percent. I think it's like one thousand one hundred and seventy one, if I remember correctly. Don't quote me on that. You're talking about the exact same drug. No, no changes to it. No, nothing but they're now the com- drug companies are now charging nearly 1200% more for the drug. That that's a huge expense for, for anybody, any family. And I mean, yeah, we have a lo- there are a lot of ideas that we've bounced around. I would love to provide a, a scholarship fund at some point yeah. if we can grow this thing enough to the point where we can help out type one diabetics or, you know, anybody with, uh, I don't want to single out, type one diabetics, but you know, anybody with an autoimmune disease who's struggling, it's like, Hey, you want to, you know, take fencing or, you know, Hey, you're a standout surfer, but you're struggling, you know, juggling college expenses and insulin costs. Hey, let's help you out. Let's, you know, make sure that you have what you need so that you can do what you love. And that helps the next, next generation and the generation after that, you know, Pass it forward. Keep things moving. Yeah. In a positive direction.
1: Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's it. Anything else you want to add on top of it? That was my last little spiel. I think we're good. All right.
0: <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers. Okay, so you can check out uh, all the pictures and posts we talked about in our social media platforms at Chris Clark Athletics on Instagram and Facebook, or at CLC T1D Athlete on Twitter.
1: We've also rolled out a newsletter that will bring you updates on podcasts and the latest happenings with CCG straight to your inbox. You can sign up on our website, clct1dathlete.com, where you'll also be able to find the podcast notes for this and other episodes, and learn more about and contribute to our Type None campaign.
0: And we still have a long way to go to our lofty goals in a short amount of time. And if you believe in our mission to inspire, educate, and empower those living with and affected by Type 1 diabetes, please consider donating.
1: If you have any questions for us from the podcast or about our campaign, please reach out on our social media platforms or email us at typenoneccg at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from y'all. All
0: right, I think that wraps it up. Until next time, guys. Cheers.
1: Cheers.